We'd like to take a moment to thank our supporters by offering a special discount exclusive to TaxiAct listeners. Our online July tax update will be here before you know it, and we are offering our listeners a chance to register for 20% off. Just go to our online training page on our website, register for the online July tax update, and use the code JULY20 at checkout. Thanks again for joining us, and enjoy the rest of the episode. And welcome to Tax Yak, a tax banter podcast. We love yakking about tax, so we've invited a range of tax experts and practitioners to have a chat with us. We hope you enjoy this episode of Tax Yak. I'm Robin Jacobson, a senior tax trainer with Tax Banter, and your host of today's podcast. I'm joined by the ATO's Deputy Commissioner, Small Business, Deborah Jenkins. Deb has held this position since July 2017. She also has responsibility for management of the GST product for the ATO and until recently oversaw the introduction of single touch payroll. As part of her role, she has overall responsibility for the small business experience, as well as engaging with, educating, assisting, and guiding taxpayers through contemporary products and tailored services. Deb and her team work in partnership with tax practitioners, business, industry bodies, and other organizations to create an environment that supports small business through reducing complexity and increasing the adoption of digital technology. Upon joining the ATO in November 2015, she was Assistant Commissioner Indirect Tax, looking after interpretative assistance, rulings, advice and guidance, and GST financial services risk. Prior to joining the ATO, Deb was a partner at KPMG, where she advised domestic and international clients across all industries on GST-related matters. She also has multinational experience through her work in both New Zealand and Europe. In New Zealand, she worked for both the public and the private sectors. Deb is a chartered tax advisor of the Tax Institute, and she's an avid tweeter. Deb, welcome to TaxIAC. Thank you so much for having me. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here, and we're very honoured and and very um, thrilled to have you be part of this conversation. Thanks so much. All right, so just to set the landscape, you look after small business. I do. So if we uh, just look at a a bit of a stock take, we've got around 3.8 million businesses in Australia Mm -hmm. under that $10 million turnover threshold. It's a big population. It's a huge population. When you think about it, it's not only huge, it's diverse. Absolutely. So if you think about, I mean, we often talk about, oh, a small business would do this or a small business would do that. They're all so different. And that's one of the big challenges is really just understanding who they are and what they do and what they need from us. We break this down further, they employ about 40% of Australia's workforce, they contribute to a third of Australia's GDP, and around two-thirds are non-employing. So we're only looking about a third of those small businesses actually taking on employees. Further breakdown, about a third are companies. Mm -hmm. That means the other two-thirds are sole traders, partnerships, or operating through trusts. Exactly right. Exactly right. So it goes to the diversity point, doesn't it? Absolutely. And not just turnover size. No. So some of the key challenges, when we think about a business setting up, they've got to look at the market they're in and their pricing strategies and their resourcing and their labour, their product, their cash flow. The regulatory burden is an ongoing conversation and they're being pushed and shoved from all angles. Tax office is one, ASIC is another, state revenue office, fair work. There might be licensing requirements in a particular industry or other regulations. Then you've got all your business risks, natural disasters. It's a lot for business to take on. So where does tax fit into all this? Well, you haven't really sold it, have you? Because it is a challenge. If you think about small businesses, many people start a small business because they've got a passion. 
And when I'm out there talking to small businesses, you know, they are often not business people. Business um, thinking or acumen or even cash flow doesn't come naturally to them. You know, they have a dream um, and, you know, it's about how do we, all of us, help them to thrive. Um, but sometimes it is just that surviving. So, yeah, um, they are a really, really important part of the economy. And, you know, your points around um, how many of them do employ. But if you think about what they do, they're also a really important part of our community. Um, and you know that's why we've dedicated an area within the ATO who specifically looks at how can we help those small businesses. So let's first look at some of the activities the ATO has been doing. There was um, some audit activity in 2017-18 and around 120,000 audits of small businesses were conducted. Now, many of our listeners will be familiar with the personal tax gap that was announced last year and the multinational tax gap and the superannuation guarantee tax gap. There's now some um, information emerging on the small business income tax gap. Now, the figures aren't available yet, but can you make some comments on what this is looking like? Yeah, absolutely. So you're right, and, and often people focus on the gap, the, the, the number at the end of the exercise. But maybe if I could just fill your listeners in on how we actually come up with that number. So what we do in trying to understand the gap, which is the difference between the amount of tax that we expect should come in the door versus the amount of tax that actually does come in the door, plus a little bit extra which we get through our compliance activities. And we're just trying to understand, you know, how big is that gap? But for me, more importantly, why is there a gap? So if you think about the, the insights that we're getting already from the Random Inquiry Program, where we literally go out and talk to random small businesses and understand you know, whether they're getting it right. So what we do is you know, we're drawing these insights, things that we've never been able to see before. For example? For example, we are finding, the classic, and this will be of no surprise to you and to many of your listeners, we are finding classic examples of omitted income. So people are, at times, forgetting to put income into their returns. And now, the listeners can't see the look on my face at the moment, <laughs> but how does someone forget to put income into their tax return? Look, it's a great question. Let me give you a, an example, a case study from, from the work that we've just done. So people have bank accounts during the year. And, you know, sometimes you close those bank accounts during the year. When you go along to your tax professional, your accountant, ready for end of year, and you forget that you had the bank statements from that bank account. In fact, I don't even know if they do bank statements anymore. It's all online. But people actually just forget about all of the sources of income. If you think about also, many people now, they do not just have one source of income. They've got lots of businesses, lots of activities that make up their business. Well, let's look at the gig economy for a moment. Yep. This is increasingly becoming a, a large portion of the economy. Correct. So you've got all these different sources, genuine contractors. They're earning their income from walking the dog, building the furniture, whatever. Correct. So you've got so many different sources and they need good systems to keep track of all this. They do. And also, I mean, as well as tracking it, a lot of people don't see that income as income. They think it's just, well, I'm just getting a bit of extra money on it's the a side. It's a hobby. It's a hobby. So, you know, that's the classic thing. So we do see omitted income. The other thing we are seeing is people forgetting to think about the difference between their private expenditure and also expenditure that's for the business. So sometimes it's really clear. You bought something and it's very clear that it's only for your private use. But there are things we're seeing which there should be some sort of level of apportionment. So maybe it's your telephone line or maybe you've bought something you use a bit for business and a bit for private. So that's another classic. We're also seeing um, people just not understanding 
they've come into a very simple business structure. They may have started it just as a sole operator, sole trader, and then you know they've gone to somebody and they said, oh, you should set up a trust, a company, distribute from here, distribute from there. That's well beyond their level of experience, and so they don't understand the implications of the structure that they're in. Those are probably three of the classic areas we're seeing. I think we get challenges through the development of uh, technology in the age we're living in. If I think about claiming phone expenses years ago, you would go through your itemised phone bill with a highlighter and just pick out the work phone calls. It was yep, easy. I remember doing it. <laughs> These days, everyone's on bundled plans. And I think both taxpayers and the ATO have challenges in trying to navigate their way through apportioning private versus business use of some of these uh, data plans or phone plans when it's all just one figure. And there really has to be a sensible and practical and low cost way that is manageable for taxpayers to be able to work out the appropriate claim. That's right. And all we're asking is that people make it, you know, a best attempt. Um, you know, I'm not ever going to go through and go, hang on, this phone call was out and that phone call is in, you know, but you're right, the world has changed. And so for us, it's really important that people just understand that there is a difference and they do need to make an attempt to do that. Do you want me to chat to you about some of the really interesting things we're finding through the Random Inquiry Program though? Because we're not only seeing, you know, people getting it wrong, we're actually seeing people getting it right. And sometimes people say to me, well, what does good look like, Deb? You know, how would I know if I'm doing it really well? Does that surprise you? Yeah, do you know what? It, it's funny because people, it, it does and it doesn't. I think one of the things that I observe is... Um, Sometimes in my world, we are a risk-based organisation. So we often go and we interact with people who do need to um, have our help or there's something that we want to understand that doesn't look quite right, whether it's through small business benchmarks or something else. And so it's really refreshing for us to go and to say, wow, you actually have it right. What can we learn from you? And we've learnt three things. So what we've discovered when we see a business operating really, really well in this space, three key things. The first one is they have really good record keeping. So I know that sounds really simple, Robin, doesn't it? You think record keeping, surely everybody does it. But if someone opens a business because they have a, a passion for cupcakes or they have a passion for building houses, they're generally not experts on record keeping. No, they're not. And we do have a lot of um, tools online as well to help with record keeping. We do run webinars and seminars across the country. And, you know, and obviously your um, professional advisor is also a really good place to go. What we also find, though, is when people start their business and they set it up right, they then have are set up for success. The second thing we're seeing is that they actually have some form of software, so some form of technology that's helping them, whether it's a point of sale system or maybe it's cloud-based accounting software. Where people have those, they tend to be getting it right more often. The third and final point we're seeing is when they actually ask for help when they need it. So not going it alone, actually getting the advice and support that they need to help them set up that business. And also when it goes through expansion phase, they've asked the right questions to help them move to that next phase. I think it's really important when anyone's setting up a business that they get it right from the beginning yeah. because bad habits can be entrenched and then you can find yourself so far down the track with the problem that really has escalated. Correct. And if we can have a chat for a moment about the level of small business debt because the amount of tax debt owed by small business to the ATO sits at 15.4 billion, billion dollars. Yeah. Now this is accounting for two thirds of all the debts owed so it's disproportionate. and. We know that there are various ways that people can manage their tax debts. You can go under payment arrangements, yeah. you can um, ask for deferrals and the various ways you can work with the ATO. But I've always said to, to taxpayers or their advisors in this space, don't ignore the debt because it's not going to go away. And the best thing you can do is engage. It's a bit like when the, um, the phone goes quiet, you know, if the person's not talking to you, you get worried. As soon as you start talking to them again, at least you can start working through it. 
There has been a lot of publicity and not all of it favourable for the ATO over the past 12 months. And I think back to the Four Corners report on the ABC April of last year. We've had a report from the Inspector General talking about the use of garnishee notices, which has confirmed that there was no systemic problem within the ATO. We've seen some recent comments from Kate Carnell of the, the Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman, and she has remarked on whether the ATA should be pursuing tax debts when the taxpayer is indeed having that particular issue reviewed by the tribunal. So they're just some examples of the the attention that's been in this space. But have you got some broad overview comments in relation to that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I always listen to some of that feedback because it's really important that you know when people are saying things, they're saying it for a reason. So for me, the first thing I would say is I've actually listened to a lot of that feedback and we have made um, a number of changes to our processes and things like that to say, how can we do this better? What are the things that we can do differently? One of the things that did worry me about um, a lot of that discussion was that people would actually stop engaging with us. So one of the key messages, as you were saying earlier, if you are in debt, if you are in difficulty, please don't ignore the phone calls. Pick up the phone, and whether you want to do it yourself or whether you want to, um, you know, work through your advisor, come and have a chat to us. There are a range of payment plans that are available, and we do actually want to help people get back on track. You're not there to put people out of business. No, no, we're not. We're not. But we do need to, you know, as you say, there's 15 billion dollars worth of tax outstanding, and it is really important that we create a level playing field because we don't want to be in a situation where it's okay not to pay tax. It's not okay not to pay the tax, um, but we also want to make sure that people have the opportunity to put their case forward, to actually provide us with additional information if we don't have everything we need to make the decision. But you know, what we do find in a number of those cases is people haven't given us all the information and it's only further down the track that they do. So you know, what I would say there is first make sure that you engage with us, um, either through your advisor or directly with us. And the second thing is if there's some piece of information, you know, you're going through tough times, you've been in the middle, you know, Australia is in a drought, come and talk to us. We're doing roadshows around the country and it's amazing how many people come up to me and say, Deb, I actually need some help. How can you help me? And we are actually there to help. I think one of the really big challenges the ATO has in this era is when people get communications, Mm. they cannot at all times be sure that it's from the ATO. Mm. And myself, I've received threatening messages left on my home answering machine telling me I have a tax debt, which I know is not the case, Um, quoting reference number, telling me that I'm just going to be a a search warrant and and a warrant for my arrest. Mm. And this is, of course, all scams. So when people are getting text messages or emails or messages left on home phones, Mm. the most vulnerable in our society don't understand that that's not the ATO. So what does the ATO do about this? How can you ensure that the messages you're getting out are the right ones and when people get a message that's not from the ATO that they know that that is the case? Yeah, look, it it, it is a constant challenge and it's a constant challenge not only for for the ATO but if you think about for the banks and other really large institutions as well. So we're all grappling with this. But, you know, the first thing is don't click on links that you you, you get. You know, I mean, that's the the classic. Um, The other thing too is though, if if you are in doubt, people do ring us and they do check um, or check with your tax agent as well but one you know if there are two key messages we will never ask you to pay a tax debt using iTunes cards and I know that you're probably shaking your head going as if anyone would think that but people, people actually have. do genuinely we've had situations where people have rocked up to a shop and they've only been stopped by the shop assistant who said why are you buying so many iTunes cards and they said it's to pay a tax debt 
So, you know, we don't ask for them in, or any of the other sort of vouchers. Mm. Um, so, you know, actually think about it. Does it sound legitimate? We won't make phone calls where you're being yelled at, screamed at, told that we're going to, you know, someone outside of your door going to arrest you. That just doesn't happen. Um, so, you know, if in doubt, don't ignore everything because the challenge is, you know, sometimes these text messages might be genuine. But, you know, think about your MyGov account and your other access points as well. Another big area has been cash flow. Yeah. And a business obviously needs to pay its wages, it needs to pay its suppliers, it mm. needs to pay for the other uh, services that keep the business running. But GST and super in particular are one of those debts that can build up so quickly. You, you put the money aside if you're well organised, but if you don't, you can turn around at best time and find that you've got no cash left to pay the GST. And we're seeing the SG gap running at about $2.8 billion each year. It's a disgraceful figure in my opinion. There is just too much super not being paid on behalf of genuine employees. Mm So how can businesses better handle this cash flow and, and how can the ATO assist with this? Yeah, so I think the first thing is even thinking about cash flow because um, a lot of people think that the money that's sitting in their bank account is the money that they have. And so, you know, think about the money that you've got in, and you've given two really good examples there. You know, when you sell things and they're subject to GST, that money needs to go in the next business activity statement, or GST return, as a lot of people colloquially call it. And, you, you know, that money isn't your money to spend. So the money in your bank account is not a true reflection of the money that you've got. And as you say, superannuation guarantee as well. That money is your employee's money and you need to make sure you're paying it. So getting some advice on cash flow is really, really important. We've developed something called the Cash Flow Coaching Kit, which we're actually um, using through our partners in the system. So advisors and other people to have that conversation when people are setting it up to say what are some really simple practices putting the money for example the GST away in a different bank account um, just some very simple and obvious things that can make a really big difference or even paying super more regularly or in line with payroll you don't have to you do- but it might be a way of managing the cash flow correct correct because you know there is temptation I'm sure you're like me if there's money in the bank account you know it's hard to think well that's actually I need to put that aside for for not the rainy day but for the tax day because the tax fairies don't take um, you know don't deal with tax you actually have to deal with it yourself now the another area is work-related expenses I've had a yep. whole conversation with Justin and yeah. on a separate tax yak, which (laughs) is really great. And we went into a lot of detail. But Mm. just broadly, there are some key messages that the ATO is always emphasising and making sure that people understand what they can and can't claim. So can you revisit these golden rules again? Absolutely. So we do have three golden rules. So the money actually has to have been spent, first of all, and not for a private purpose. So we do get to see things like um, childcare and school fees, clothing for the family, things like that. No, they're out. Sorry about that, but no, they are not um, able to be claimed. If there is the mix of business and private, and we touched on this earlier, you can only claim the business portion of it. You know, make a reasonable attempt, and there's a lot of guidance around how you might do that. And finally, you've got to have evidence. You know, keep that receipt, keep that evidence that you've got. It's so easy using our... um, my deductions app um, on your phone hopefully all of your listeners have loaded it uh, but you know keep a track of those business expenses because we we may ask for substantiation we may ask you to prove that you've actually incurred that expense this is where we run into problems because we know in the law and the ato administration that there are substantiation exceptions correct and i'm the first one to say that they are not standard deductions i've always given yeah. that message but over the years that has been interpreted to be something that you can just claim yep And we know from 
the various audits that have been conducted that people are claiming it when they haven't spent the money. So when we say you've got to have substantiation, there are substantiation exceptions and that's causing confusion about, well, what can you claim and when do you need a receipt? It, it has and people have mixed up the two. And I've had that experience myself. Some said, oh, well, you know, here's a flat flat deduction. I said, but I haven't, I haven't incurred that. I didn't incur it. So you're right. So there is a bit of mixed messages, but, you know, we still stick to those three golden rules. Okay. Um, and, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be the receipt. It can obviously be um, a bank statement as well. So other evidence that you might have. Look, I think that an indication of the complexity of the tax system, we've got around 75% of the individual population in Australia engaging a tax agent to lodge their return. And we've got around 95% of the business population. That's That's high. And you might be better on the figures than I am, but I thought we were something like only second in the world to Italy in terms of engaging a tax agent. We are. There is is a culture in Australia of people engaging a tax agent. And I'm not making a judgment about whether that's good or bad. But what it does mean is your tax agent doesn't have a crystal ball to understand your business. So you do actually have to tell them what you're doing. And so, you know, the tax agents play a really important role in our system. But, you know, there are discussions that you need to have with your tax agent to help them make their job easier. I'm sure there's tax agents around the country who've gone, I remember the shoebox that someone came in, mm. or I remember the conversations I had to have, or, oh, I forgot to tell them I've changed my business structure. So, you know, the, the role of the tax agent is so important in helping our people across the country um, get ready this tax time. How does the ATO view the relationship with tax agents? Because at the times over the years it has been frosty. I think it's probably improved a a lot over the last 10 years, but I'm interested in your thoughts on how the ATO views that relationship with tax agents. Yeah, so my perspective on it, and if I could put it this way, in my job as Deputy Commissioner of Small Business, I have to look after nearly 4 million small businesses across the country and probably add, say, another 2 million when you think about all their associates and things like that. Let's be honest, I cannot do that job on my own. So I see the tax agent community and the advisor community as a really, really important part of our tax and super system. Without them, I couldn't do it. We are not always going to agree, but that's actually fine. What we do find, though, is the tax agents are you know, a really, really important part of um, of the role that we play, but they also need to keep their um, CPD hours up to date. We need to continue to improve ways of engaging with that tax agent community. Um, so, yeah, really, really important part. And, you know, I appreciate the role that they play. Can you comment on the complexity of our tax laws? Now, this is beyond the scope of the ATA, so let's just make that yep. point clear. Um, everyone needs to understand that policy is designed and developed by the Treasury in consultation with the government. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we end up with the bills that appear before Parliament and it's in the hands of the politicians. That's right. The ATA then administers the laws once they're enacted. Correct. So let's just be clear on that distinction. Mm-hmm. But... At times, I I empathise with the ATO as much as I do with taxpayers because we all live in the same system and we all have to work with the position where things are announced and not enacted, Mm. where we have policy changes. So, for example, the instant asset write-off this year. I think everyone agrees that it is a a good policy and it works and it gets businesses spending money. But we've ended up with three different thresholds in this one income year. And I look at that at a policy level and think, couldn't they just take the $30,000 back to the 29th of January and ignore the 25000 that's only there for two and a bit months, or even take it back to 1 July 18, but I understand the budget may not have been able to afford that. 
But things like those sorts of policy issues, you have to administer them. It increases complexity. Mm. It increases the risk of someone getting it wrong. And then if someone gets it wrong, then the self-assessment system throws the penalties back onto the taxpayer. Onus is fully on them. So how does the ATO deal with this? Yeah, look, you're right. And if we think, if I go back to the conversation we had about the random inquiry program where we're actually going out and talking to people, one of the main reasons that people get it wrong is complexity. So there's a couple of things that we can do. There are some areas where we can improve our communication to help people understand that complexity, right? That's sort of a workaround, if you like, acknowledging that complexity is part of it. The second thing we can do is work with people like you, Robin, and I know you've worked really, really hard on the single-touch payroll changes, to actually work out, well, here's the law, here's the framework within which we're operating, and where are the things that we can do to make it very, very practical within a legislative framework. The other thing that we often do is we take account of all of the feedback that we get on some of that complexity and we do feed that back to Treasury, we do feed that back to government and where there's an opportunity obviously we like to take that to you know, anything we can do to make life simpler for small businesses or for the taxpaying community in general. You know, that reducing red tape is something that is continues to be a focus for us. Another example, we've got proposed tax cuts announced in this year's budget. Mm-hmm. We have a returned coalition government. Mm-hmm. Parliament won't sit again until the first week of July. We are expecting that a deal will be negotiated with the crossbenchers in the Senate and that probably this will all go through. But we're going to be into the lodgement season, hopefully not too far into it. But the ATO needs to administer this and maybe retrospectively applying these tax cuts back to 1 July 2018 through the increase in the offset. Um, This becomes a challenge and it just gets really untidy. It does. And the best thing we can do and say to your listeners is, you know, that's where the role of the tax practitioners is really important. Making sure you're checking our website as well for updates and other information to help you navigate some of that complexity. So another issue, Deb, I wanted to discuss with you, mental health. Mm. Increasingly, ATO fact sheets or guides will have links to resources, and it includes things like the suicide helplines or other uh, support services. That's right. I've noticed this also coming through things like the ABC News app and other news services when there's a story that particular um, focuses on that. Um, this is obviously recognition that some people out there are doing it very tough. Mm. And I think it's important to understand the ATO will work with people, but I'm interested to understand again your perspective on this. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, looking after your mental health, and often we, we position mental health as being the illness, but actually having good mental health is the positive version of that. Um, and we do acknowledge that when people are struggling uh, with mental health issues, often tax is the last thing that they want to think about. And the pressure of running a small business on pressure, top of that. It's huge, right? So we acknowledge that. And one of the things one of the things that we have done is actually have training for our frontline staff on some really basic things. So for example, we've trained our frontline staff on empathy and how to pick some of those signs where somebody is struggling through mental health. So if you could hear a bit of agitation in the voice, for example. Correct. We're also working very closely in partnering with with organisations like Beyond Blue. So we are not mental health experts and we acknowledge that, but actually through our partners in the system, such as Beyond Blue and many others, I mean, Leanne Faulkner does some fantastic work in this space as well. Um, You know, it's actually about us having how do we recognize the signs and how do we actually adjust our approaches to you know to take that into account so for me it's really important empathy is just the start particularly for our frontline but there is a lot of help and assistance available and as as you say we think it's really important because if someone's thinking about their tax if they have those numbers or contacts there we'd really encourage them to reach out I've got to say also for the profession, it's something the professional bodies are working with with their members because often the first port of call for someone going through distress or some sort of mental health issue is going to be their accountant. They are familiar with what's going on, they're very close to it. 
And so it's important that accountants and practitioners also have the skills to be able to uh, assist their clients through this. That's exactly right. And there mm. are some great tools and tips available on a number of websites. So it's not something that needs to be a high cost investment from the advisors themselves. Yeah. All right, moving on to the black economy. Mm. So to set the scene of this, we had uh, Michael Andrew, of course, head up the review or the um, uh, the process of looking at the black economy. Yep. Report was delivered to the government. And out of that report, there have been a number of recommendations already implemented. That's great. So if I think of the uh, measures that have already been implemented, we've got a number of extensions over a few years to the taxable payments reporting system. Yes. Initially just building construction. Now we've got the couriers and the cleaners, mm-hmm. and as of 1 July, we've got the, the road freight and IT and the security investigative services. Great. We've got proposed measures which are looking at over $10,000 you won't be able to pay for goods or services in the form of cash. Mm-hmm. I've got to say, I'm still really intrigued by this one and how that is going to be working mm-hmm. and how it's going to be enforced. Mm-hmm. We've got legislated measures that deny tax deductions for those employers who are not withholding or reporting correctly. And that will deny a deduction to the employer for the payment made to the worker. Correct, from 1 July this year, that's right. That is right. And one other which I haven't seen much practical evidence of was the sales suppression technology measure, which was making that an offence to use it or distribute it. And this is where it basically removes transactions from your point of sale equipment. That's um, right. I've always wondered about this one, Deb. I've, I've got to share, share with you that yeah. if you were using this software... Mm-hmm. Are you suddenly going to wake up the next day when you realise it's now an offence to use and say, gee, I didn't know it was wrong, but now that it's illegal, I'm going to stop using it. I, I, I just think if people were going to do it, they'd do it anyway. But Well, do you know what? That's actually a really interesting point. So um, I think this is something that has actually taken off. Um, but the challenge that we had as an administrator was that we actually had to prove that it had been used and that there had been um, you know, a lack of tax paid as a result. The law change actually helps us because what it says is it's an offence to produce supply possess it and so that's really important it means we don't have to prove it's been used to do something but actually it's illegal to have it so it goes back to really the supplier or the provider of the technology not just the user correct and you know what um and we've done some work in this space too and that's really helped us too you know often there's one person who is the mastermind of some of this stuff um you've got many people down the chain and actually when we go out to them and we say hey we've got information that you may have this it's amazing how cooperative they can be you know they don't want to get caught out so that's the that's the background of that so what else is the ATA doing in the space of black economy? So we do have a new black economy hotline starting on um, 1 July, um, and that's people can actually um, tell us. But I often have people say to me, oh, Deb, you know, this is happening. Where can I go? Um, so that hotline starts um, from, from 1 July. So am I misdescribing it as a Dobbin service? Oh, look, um, you know, people probably, that resonates with people. Um, I think it's the equivalent of Crime Stoppers people have talked about as well. The idea of this is it's all about what in intelligence can we get so it does not mean that if we get a phone call from Robin um, saying that you know Joe down the road is doing this that we would necessarily immediately contact Joe and say do you know what Robin told us this it's actually about what intelligence can we collect and we'll obviously um, work through that gather the information to understand yeah now there is a new development as well Mm -hmm. Uh, again this conjures up images of men dressed in black fully armed SWAT team type approach this is called the mobile strike team yeah what does this do and, and what is their approach? Because uh, yeah, maybe I've watched too much Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, so let's just be very clear. They do not, they're not men and they're not dressed in black. And they're, and not, they're armed. not And they're not armed. And they're <laughs> not armed. I think you're referring to my mobile strike teams. Yes. Um, so look, and you know, you do think about their name and it does conjure up certain images, but let's just give a bit of context to that. So over the next four years, uh, we have been given funding by the government to visit 10,000 businesses a year. 
So 40,000 businesses. 40,000 businesses over the next four years. And part of this is actually, let's go out there, let's have a highly visible presence on the streets. Okay, what we do is we start that process with a bit of a letter drop to say that we're going to be in particular areas. We pick those particular areas, we get a mixture of, you know, city and country, we get a mixture of, um, you know, whether it's suburban, urban, all that kind of stuff. We do that, we walk through and we say, hi, we're from the ATO, and actually, did you know about good record keeping, all of the other things that you want to know? So they're educational in nature to start. The project that was run about a year or so ago in Box Hill, there were a couple of days where visits were done going into cafes and specifically targeting cash economy. Is that part of that? That is. It's the next version of that. So we've learned a lot through that process and actually we've improved that process. We also run a town hall session and I actually um, was participating in the one that we did in Sydney. I'm I'm based in Sydney. And we ran concurrent sessions, one in Mandarin and one in English. And we started by saying to people, hey, you're in the um, area that we're going to visit. Would you like to come in and learn about what good looks like, things that you should know about tax? And we actually really genuinely want to help people to get them back on track. But of course, as part of our visits, we're going to find people who aren't doing the right thing and some of them will need help to get back on track and others will need more of a very strong nudge to get back on track so maybe those are the ones we need to identify for further audit activity so you know just classic things we're seeing like as you say cash um you know not including cash in their um in their returns and things like that how many businesses have you visited so far this year? Yeah, so we have visited in 22 locations over 7,700 small businesses. That's face-to-face visits. Face-to-face visits. And you know what? You know, when I reflect on this, it is actually one of those really things. People say to me, Deborah, we don't see the ATO as much as we used to do. You know, we I used hear that to a lot too, actually. You do? Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Because, you know, we used to be in the shop front. You used to be able to go down to your local ATO. And we don't have the shop fronts anymore. There's a lot more online. So what we're finding is people are saying, wow, you are out and about. There is a real chance that you can get, there's two aspects to this. There's a real chance that I can get caught because the ATO is real, they do exist. Mm -hmm. And the other part is, oh, you're here. I had a question that I wanted to ask you. And that's really, you know, really two parts of the mobile strike team visits. The role of tax agents and all this, are you yeah. visiting tax agents as a separate exercise? Um, it, yeah, it's as part of the broader exercise, but separately, yeah, we are visiting tax agents who are servicing some of those high-risk industries in those areas. Um, you know, if you think about it, if there is a tax agent who is, um, you know, working with those high-risk industries, um, it's quite likely that a number of their clients are impacted. Um, and what we also find is you've got some tax agents in the area say, hey, it's not fair because I won't allow them to have these deductions or whatever else but the but the person down the road is and so it helps us with you know agents again go back to our original conversation really important part of our ecosystem so we want to involve them in this as well we don't want to exclude them from our process i've recently been involved in some cpa australia conferences with public practitioners and both in lawn and the hunter valley these issues came up and something Mm -hmm. that kept recurring was the 60 dollars tax return now no one can regulate exactly how much is charged for a tax return but it was really a point of contention with a number of these practitioners, they're saying that we're doing the right thing. We can't do a, a proper I return for less than, pick a figure, 250, 150, depending what's going mm. on within it. Mm. And they're saying when we're being um, undercut by someone who's prepared to charge $60 for a tax return, how can they be doing it properly? How can they be churning out a return in half an hour? And so this is something that um, parts of the profession are feeling that, okay, I'm doing the right thing. I've got my mm. integrity. Okay, I've lost a client to that. Yeah. And I'm not prepared to 
not comply with the law in order to keep the client, but they still don't like being undercut by these other agents who are not doing the right thing. No, and, and look, we hear that as well, and that's why there's very much, as part of the black economy, um, the other part of that is the, the role that the agents play. So we do understand and appreciate those challenges. I mean, I hear that conversation as well. There's also a role that the tax practitioner board can play. Um, but, you know, if you think about uh, industry associations like CPA or Chartered Accounts, any of the other ones, um, you know, it's very, very important because actually you want to have standing in the community. Absolutely. Um, and so the more that we can do together to actually stamp out some of that behaviour is really, really important because if you are not paying due attention to those returns, if you are not asking the right questions, you're not doing the right thing by your clients, you might be getting the refund, but... Um, Actually, it's a, it's a longer-term game. So it's a challenge, and we, we hear it, and we're working on that with um, with the industry. Deb, you would well know within the Self-Managed Fund annual return, there is a requirement to disclose the amount paid in, in audit fees. And the reason for that, it's an indicator to the ATO. If the audit's too cheap, then maybe there's a problem with mm. the fund itself. And I know throughout the election campaign, there's a lot of talk about the proposed $3,000 cap on accounting fees that the... Uh, the Labor Party was going to introduce if they form government, the cost of managing your tax affairs. And I'm wondering if that is equally a trigger for the ATO, that rather than looking at how big the accounting fee is, maybe they should be focusing on how small it is. Because if it's too small, maybe there's a problem with the integrity and the way that return was prepared. Yeah, I mean, we look at a number, a range of risk factors, and that's really important to us to get you know a whole piece of information, because I would never want to make a jump to a conclusion without sort of understanding it. But you're right. I mean, if you think about it, if there is someone who is, um, lodging a tax return and they haven't paid much for it. There might be a whole range of very valid reasons why they might not have paid much for that return. But you know, it does can, for me personally. It, you know, triggers a well. Hang on, what, what's going on there? And should yeah. they be getting or paying for some more advice? I, I want to share an anecdote with you. One of our training colleagues some years ago um, was, went away for the weekend, and she came back on the Monday and shared with us a photograph that she'd taken in an antique store. <laughs> and the sign read, "If paying by card, GST applies." And we just thought, why don't you put up a sign saying, ATO, come and audit me? Yeah. Well, do you know what? When we started doing the mobile strike teams, um, we often talked about them. We were visiting those with cash-only signs that were, you know, the, and, and you do see them in certain areas where yep. there is a sign outside that says cash-only. And certainly, if I talk about, what, you know, what are my risk indicators, um, we often use merchant data and things like that to understand, you know, are people using uh, merchant facilities? So that's, you know point of sale systems and other things um, or are they actually accepting cash only I mean very wandering off into a slightly different topic but it is really interesting isn't it the rise of the um, uh, card only businesses as well rather than just the cash only businesses but you're right I mean often my weekends I spend uh, as I'm wandering I'm, I'm on, on holiday or whatever and I do see those and I think oh dear yes <laughs> what do you say to those businesses or individuals who just insist on saying they can operate outside the system or the ATA is never going to find us or we're too small or who's going to take any notice or it's just too difficult for them to find us. What do you say to those people that think they can keep operating outside the system? Yeah, the world is changing, is what I would say. If I think about our access to information, to you know, to data, um, it, it, the world is changing, and I don't think you can continue with that attitude for, for much longer. We do have a lot of intelligence about what's happening, and we do have the ability to understand a lot better about what people are doing, when they're doing it, um, and to help make sure that we're creating a level playing field. Um, it's really, really important to me. I think about 
my conversations I have with my hairdresser and I sit down there and you know she's doing the right thing she's you know paying all of our taxes and she looks across the road and she says Deb it's not fair what are you doing about those businesses because it's making it really really hard for me to compete I've had exactly the same conversation <laughs> with mine in the last month yeah exactly yes. there are really good sources of information actually hairdressers I've written actually a number of um, tweets or other things as you know I love to use social media um, just based on my experiences and some of the you know the insights that they give me from the life of a small business owner and it's challenging Absolutely. The use of big data by the ATO, analytics, mm-hmm. artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. When Justin Untersteiner came in recently, mm-hmm. we had a good discussion about how the ATO is using artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. And I just have this, again, an image of some sort of robot sitting there in a chair pumping out this information. But it's all built into your systems, of course. Mm-hmm. And the use of AI, it's learning on the job. The more it does, the better it gets. Mm-hmm. Do you have an idea of how many transactions a year the ATO would be data matching and processing? Do you know, I, I don't. But, you know, as we continue to evolve, um, we will use data in different ways. We often use data to help people. And I think that's just a really important point that I'd like to get across too is people often think about data being used for compliance activity. We also use data to help people to say, hey, did you know? Is that right? Um, So we often refer to that as nudge technology, which is to help people to comply. Because if you think about it, we want to educate people first. We want to help them to comply. And then it's only when they aren't complying that we need to step to enforcement. But you're right. You know, it really does help us to reach a wider range of people within our community of my 3.8 million when I do get to use tools like that. It's interesting when I talk to accountants about the use of data by the ATO because some people still seem to think that the privacy rules apply. And they say, well, how can the ATO access that information? Or, you know, I heard about so-and-so that had to provide a list. You know, why did they have to do it? Mm. And I don't think there's a good understanding that when the ATO asks for data, it's might come as across as a request, but really it is a demand. Yeah, um, and we don't take that lightly. Like, we do have um, a number of powers and we want to use them wisely. Um, what I would like to think is that um, when we do ask for data or information, that we're doing it because we have a, a reasonable suspicion that they might not be getting it right. But you are right, people do often say, oh, I didn't know they could get that. There is actually a lot of information that we can, if we need to, in the course of doing our job, we can access. There's still people beginning to realise that the ATO uses passport records and e-tag records and metadata on mobile phones as to which towers you're tapping into when you're driving around. Mm. So there's an enormous amount of data. Um, A very clever, in my opinion, um, approach the ATO has taken lately, and I've seen this done before, is the insurance policies. Mm -hmm. So when you've got nice assets, lifestyle assets, racehorses and artwork and boats and aeroplanes, you are going to insure them. And when that is insured, the ATO can go to the insurance companies and get a list of those policies and all sorts of tax questions can come out of that. Right. And it can be as simple as, well, if that asset's owned by a trust or a company, how's your FBT looking? Or how did you afford to buy that asset because that's not supported by the income in your tax return? Or are you backing up the private expenses? Or did you account for the tax when you sold it? I mean, there are any number of questions that can come up here. That's right. And I just don't think enough people realise the extent of the information the ATO obtains and can obtain, Mm. and that the privacy rules don't apply in the case of the ATO. No, no. But, you know, that is why we are um, so careful about what information we are asking for and how we store that information. Well, storage would be huge. Storage is really important for us so you know we take this role and these obligations really really seriously yeah what can tax agents and and tax professionals and practitioners do to support their small business clients be in contact more frequently 
And for me, a really big thing that I've discovered since coming into the small business space is making sure that sometimes you won't get paid to do that additional um, work or to understand your, um, your client's business. But those who actually get to understand their client's business a lot more can provide much better tax advice. And so that little bit of investment to understand what they're doing, why they're doing it, will actually make tax preparing the tax returns and helping them with other information that um, hopefully more enjoyable as well but also helps you be a better a better tax profession a professional you know I think also encouraging them or helping them to move online for, for many people it's really really scary to think about you know um, using cloud-based accounting software or things like that but if I think about the anecdotes I've heard from those people who really did not want to use technology they thought why why should I it's going to cost money it's going to take time the insights that the businesses are able to get from going online and also that their tax agents are able to advise them better makes such a big difference but yeah that regular contact and that contact that's more than just a tax conversation a lot of that requires the agent to understand what the ATO is doing or what tools are available Correct. or of course changes to the tax law itself. That's right. So before an, uh, an agent or a practitioner can provide a good service to their client, they've got to be a step ahead of all that and that means they've got to con- constantly engage with the ATO. They do, or their industry associations. So, you know, the role that um, the industry associations play in providing, you know, continuing professional development, um, whether it's through their regular newsletters and other things, is just so important. And, you know, we were talking before about the role of the tax agent you know keeping on top of it is a challenge I, I understand and appreciate that but there are many people who are very keen to help the tax agents or tax professionals to sort of understand what is the ATO thinking what's happening in the environment what are the law changes that we need to keep up with um, so you know tapping into into those things is really important as well and there are a number of newsletters and other things that they can tap but into. But they're all time poor. They are time poor. Well podcasts like yours um, you know we've often talked about how are there different ways that we can get the message out there and you right they are time poor but you know things like a podcast is a brilliant way and we actually do at the ATO we do our own podcasts as well there's some brilliant ones on our back catalog. Your title was very good we did consider that title but realized it was already taken by the ATO. There we go there we go (laughs) but you know you're absolutely right but you know I think the tax agents also in working with their clients just some really simple things often we jump to the really complex issues and you know as an advisor I you know I've, I've been there I've done that myself go back to basics have you included all the income have you actually claimed the deductions to which you're entitled? Have you kept the records? You know, just go back to re- real basics, and um, sometimes you'll find that you've jumped that you've, you've you know, overlooked that in, in putting information together. Now, a really big change for businesses at the moment, and particularly small businesses, and we have had separate webinars, podcasts, yeah. blogs, etc. On this is, of course, single touch payroll. Sure is. So, I've been working very closely, as as many would know, with the ATO in developing solutions and and approaches to get businesses on board but we're getting to the point again now we are this is the serious time where you really need to look at your solutions and and work out how you're going to move into stp and for some businesses it's still very daunting yeah so um single touch payroll for um those who don't know because we often we sort of go stp and like as if everyone should know it you know single touch payroll is where we have real-time reporting um of pay information um at the time you pay your employee that information comes through to the ato but it's not real-time payment that message still needs to get out oh my goodness i'm so glad you raised that it is not real-time payment it is the reporting of that information and it's obviously the super information as well as the tax information and you're right the challenge that we've got is that um, it from 
1 July last year, those who had um, 20 or more employees needed to start reporting. And we've got a number of those large employers who are already reporting through single touch payroll. And then from 1 July this year, um, we have everybody who comes on board. So those 19 and fewer um, need to report as well. But you're right, there is there are a number of exceptions that I know you've done um, some great podcasts on it. There's a lot of information available. So what can we say today? The first thing is A, be aware of it. So it does exist. Um, no use burying your head in the sand. You know, you do need to think about single touch payroll. If you've already got cloud-based um, accounting software, it could already be in there. You, it could be literally as almost as simple as flicking a switch. Um, if you aren't sure of what you need to do, um, you know there is some information available on our website, but also your software providers if you're using one, um, but also your tax professionals should um, should be able to help you. Um, not everyone will be able to come in on 1 July. We're being very practical and pragmatic about the introduction of this. In fact, if everyone came in on 1 July, Robin, I'd be quite scared because that's <laughs> a whole lot of people that we're needing to work with. So there is a gradual ramp up. Um, in particular, in the first three months, we will consider if you get on board within the first three months of um, the next financial year that you will be um, considered to be on time for reporting for single And you don't need to apply for an exemption no. or a deferral for that three months. Exactly. And there are other range of um, options for those who are micro businesses, those with four and under. There's other options for those who might want to, for example, um, help use a tax agent and, and lodge. Um, and there are a number of very detailed rules um, that in terms of the closely held as well. So the key message here is don't panic, but do engage. You know, think about how this might apply to you. It's also a great opportunity to think about, you know, how can I use this as an opportunity to improve my business? Is this the time at which I do need to invest in some software? Um, and online, there are a number of free software um, tools and products available, and those that are under um, $10 a month as well. So encourage people to check that out. Absolutely. Look, I just want to make a few points too about STP, because right. I have been inundated questions yep. um, increasingly over the past few weeks, but particularly yep. this week. Mm. There are still people who think they will be able to lodge STP reports through the portal oh, or gosh. through the BAS. Yep. I just want to make it clear, there is no way you can lodge an STP report through the tax agent or BAS agent portal no. or ATO online services or through the BAS. So for those that are looking for this quarterly solution for the micro employers, one to four employees, where you lodge through an agent, through an agent it correct. means the agent actually needs their own STP solution. And I think that point has been lost right. on many. Yep. Also, for the closely held payees, there is 12 months exemption until 1 July 2020. Right. You do not need to apply for that, but you will need to apply for both the quarterly reporting for micro-employers mm -hmm. and you will need to apply for the quarterly reporting for the closely held payees beyond 1 July 2020. Right. Now, we're in the process of uh, finalising another blog on these oh, particular brilliant. issues. This will go up uh, sometime next week. And I will keep my messages coming out on that because people are still not understanding the finer points of actually how this is going to work through an agent. No, that's right. And look, this is a big change and we acknowledge it's a big change for people. Um, so the idea is how can we actually help? And in the first year, there are, there are no penalties. So we do actually want to help people get on board with this. Deb, could you explain to us the tools, the products and the services that the ATO makes available to small businesses? There's quite a list of them. Yeah, there, there is a, a, a long list. Maybe that as a starting point, it's important to, to note that we see our role as how can we help people inform and educate them, right? So there is a lot of information. We want to make it easy for people. And we do have a range of digital services. And we have a range of tailored education that we do out in the community. Um, 
and look on there are some online services um, you can check out also our website you know there's a lot of things on our website that are they're very very useful tools and tips and I think over time it's got far more user friendly um, the ATO app also has a lot of information so there is the my deductions tool there's the um, ABN lookup there's small business benchmarks as well and for those of you who are in the small business space please sign up to our small business newsroom it's wonderful I've got to say it is good good. thank you for that feedback Mm. because you know it has been co-designed with small businesses and with tax agents as well and for those people who haven't had the chance to look at it it's uh, something that is delivered to your inbox it is in an email form um, but it it is has sort of simple things that you can click on the idea of it is we don't want to overwhelm you with information but you know if you can have a look on it and you say oh hang on that is something I'm interested in click into it and you get more information. What I like about it Deb it's module driven so yes Yes. you can get emails to you from it. Yes. But when you go to the, the webpage itself for the Small Business Newsroom, you can just Google that and you'll find it yes. easily. Yeah. It's module driven. So there's one on property development. There's one on single touch yep. payroll, yep. etc. And you go to the area that you want. There's also an opportunity for two-way communication. So it's not just about the ATO inundating you with information. There are opportunities to provide feedback and yes. provide comments back to the ATO. And I think that's really valuable. And, you know, I mean, we're a large organisation, but actually that feedback is really important to us. And I can tell you, I do read many of those emails that come through, the feedback that has just come through, and we do act on the feedback. Um, you know, it's really important that we design something that people actually use. Um, For those who, for example, um, when people get a new ABN, we have a new to business essentials service, which means you get a series of four emails that come out during the course of your first 12 months as a business, you know, telling you things that you need to know or think about. We've talked about cash flow, we've actually talked about a number of them today um, that are in that. And so, you know, there's a lot of things that we do. We have an after hours callback service as well. we also do across the country a number of face-to-face workshops and webinars. Um, so sign up, have a look on um, the small business section of the um, of our website um, to see where there's something happening near you. But obviously, um, you know, tax agents and advisors um, they also run some amazing workshops and things as well that we often partner with them. Well, the open forums too, I've got to yes. say, have been very well received. I went to one just last Friday in Melbourne, oh, okay. yep. and they are run regularly across the country, they both are. for tax agents, for BAS agents, and for businesses. Yep. And it's an opportunity to listen to a variety of ATO speakers. They generally run for about four hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really interesting. And there are insights that you may not necessarily get from other communications. Or if you do, you might have missed that. And this is an opportunity yeah. to catch up on it. Yeah. And we do record a lot of our things. Um, and they are, you know, when they're live stream webinars and things like that, we record them. So we understand that a lot of people are very busy during the day. And they might want to catch up in bite-sized chunks after hours as well. So there are a lot of recordings. And we are talking about single-touch payroll earlier. There's a lot of amazing um, webcasts and other things that people can have a look at there. Definitely. Um, available to them online. I want to have a brief chat to you about uh, the OzKey. Mm-hmm. So a lot of businesses will be familiar with the OzKey, yep. um, very old technology, mm-hmm. which is the, the way that you interact from your computer to the tax office. And it's how you often lodge activity statements and, and other communications. This is being decommissioned in March next year. Uh, this is not going to be a transitional period where it runs in parallel with another system for a period of time. It's mm-hmm. a, a cut-off date and it will be chopped off. Mm-hmm. Its replacement is called MyGov ID. Correct. I want to say straight off the bat here, Deb, this has nothing to do with MyGov. No. It is a new digital identifier. Um, it is available now on the App Store for those with iOS technology. Yes. And you can download this. It requires some identity, so things like passport, driver's license, Medicare card. And once you've got that 
identifier, this is how you will connect to the ATO. And at the moment, it's available for businesses only. It will be available, obviously, in due course for agents as well. And then there'll be this relationship access manager, which will then, which is called RAM. Mm-hmm. RAM, yes. Not read-only memory, but no, relationship access RAM, yeah. manager. And it will allow you to connect different entities or authorise access for different people to various types of um, reports or entities. I think it's great technology. Um, I am disappointed that the name is being called MyGovID because there'll be a lot of people who will associate it with MyGov and it has nothing to do with that. I say that again. Mm. Um, But again, I'm interested in your comments on this development in technology because I think it's a good initiative. Yeah, so this is really breaking news. So we are, as you say, in a public beta. It's only just gone live on the App Store. Only a few days Um, ago. Literally a few days ago. And it's available. um, There will be an Android version later on. um, And as you say, it it will be rolled out um, to you know, for the uh, the tax agents as well. So really the benefit of being on that form is it's not linked to a computer anymore. It's a digital it's mobile correct. technology, correct. which means you can access it through your phone, your iPad, your tablet, your computer, a web page, someone else's computer. It's got That's that right. flexibility. That's exactly right. So, I mean, maybe the comment that I would make is when I go out and about in the community, one of the, pe- the things that people say to me is, I hate Auskey. You know, that is probably one of the first things. And, and it's clumsy it, when you change computers. Oh, it is. It is, it is old technology um, mm. and you know this is um, bear with us as we're working through this I'm sure there will be some teething problems as we go through it but yeah as you say um, it is available now it's a, a public beta it's on the app store and we're really hoping this is part of the journey of helping everybody go digital um, and also having an on um, access to government services online using something that actually works you know very well for people is mobile and it's actually very current because it's the way we are working today we don't sit down with a single desktop that um, you know all of the people in the organisation use and you log on and you need to have a log on. So this is very, very contemporary service that we've introduced. So uh, yeah. And just to summarise that, MyGov of course remains the platform whereby you can access government services online, Correct. whether it be Medicare, Human Services, Tax Office. Correct. But MyGov ID is a digital identifier. It's specific to an individual. Correct. So it is linked back to identity documents such as, as I said, your, your passport, your driver's licence. Correct. And that is the way that you will interact with the online Correct. services. That's exactly right. Yeah. No, thanks for clarifying. Good. Um, Deb, you are so active on Twitter. Um, I see your photographs all around the country. You're posing with people that you're speaking to. You're constantly putting forward information. You're sharing insights. Um, This is not just getting on board because social media is the big hot thing. There's obviously a role to play with social media and getting your message out. Yeah. Um, So you're absolutely right. We're on social media um, and I'm on Twitter. I'm also on LinkedIn as well. But using social media is really important to us. What small businesses say to me is, Deb, I want bite-sized chunks of information. I don't want you to send me, you know, long pieces of information. So Twitter enables me to um, put links to speeches, links to important uh, but timely information that we've got in our website or other people's information as well. We also, it helps us be really um, whole of government too. So you'll probably see, Robin, from when I'm sharing, it might be, you know, something, whether it's from um, Aspifia or it might be something from the Small Business Champion in Queensland. Um, It might be from um, biz.gov.au as well. So it really does, um, you know, people are interested in Twitter. For those of you who like to use social media, um, we like to use it as well because it is a great way of getting information across to people really fast. I agree. So Deb, we're sitting here in mid-June. We are approaching year-end. The compliance work is mostly done for 2018. And gosh, I've got to say, I look at these practitioners and think in a few weeks, it all begins again for them. It does. It so does. what's in store? What's coming up? Look, 
this tax time is a really, really important tax time for us. If you think about it, you've got um, a whole range of new things that have happened within the ATI. We've got single touch payroll for sort of the really the first time that we're lodging the, ta the tax return. So certainly this tax time is going to be a big one for us. But I love people to use this time to actually think about what do I want to do differently coming into 1 July so I set myself up really well. So a couple of things for th people to think about. So one is start 1 July this year with some great record keeping. So for mm. me, you know, this is a, this is a chance to turn over a, a fresh leaf. And think it means trotting down to office works and buying some files, setting yourself up, having a play on the weekend. What better way to spend I a few know, days? I love, I love, you know, buy, buy, <laughs> get, get some new stationery and set yourself up, set yourself up for success. Um, think about this also a number of new pieces of legislation so you know I would encourage people to think about what is going to apply to me from 1 July you mentioned um, taxable payments reporting system so TPRS so for those in those relevant industries to think about you know do I need to start to record that information for payments that I'm making to contractors come 1 July this year um, there are you know, other changes that will come through um, so we've got the changes to the deductibility of the, the payments and things like that um, and we'll obviously be keeping an eye on uh, what uh, the government chooses to do when it first sits um, early six months to, coming up. It will be, it yeah. will be. And, and as I know, we've been chatting, um, there is a number of pieces of legislation that might um, have passage um, in the next six months. So what I would say to people is it is actually the time to pay close attention. You'd be speaking to your tax agents, be speaking to people about what might be coming up in the next six months because we actually don't know um, where some of that legislation is going to land. Look, talking of tax time, this time last year, the ATO produced for the first time some very oh, bold, yeah. colourful, yeah. very useful, plain English fact sheets on mm. work-related expenses yeah. and the different occupations. Um, I still commend those to tax agents. There'll mm -hmm. be some more added to that. I am part of the shareable content consultation with the ATO, so we are helping to design those and, and provide some technical input. Mm. Um, my concern is a lot, a lot of agents still aren't aware they exist. Mm. So if anyone is looking for these, I'll be putting up links through my LinkedIn account as normal. Brilliant. And I'll be doing the same. <laughs> and you'll do the same. But also, if you want to go and search for them, it's just if you're going to put into your browser, Tax Time Toolkit, mm. and you're looking for a URL, a website that has iOrder in it. And it takes you to the ATO's publishing service. And within that, there are four different tabs. You click on the Tax Time Toolkit, and there are all these wonderful PDF documents. Um, it would be great if they're more available to tax agents mm. or easy to find from your homepage. Mm. Um, that's a separate issue, but they are there, they are wonderful, and I do encourage agents to use them because often when a client doesn't accept the agent's explanation, you know, well, my other accountant let me do it or my mate says that he can do it, mm. but if you show them something from the tax office that says you can't claim this, then sometimes the message gets through. It's really helpful, yeah. Our tax time toolkits, gosh, that's a that's a real mouthful to say, isn't it, have been a really popular product, but you're right, and so let's make sure both you and I, with our social media presence, we'll make sure that people know they exist and we'd encourage people to use that product. Right. Any final comments, Deb? No, just thank you so much for having me. I mean, it's really important that we get the opportunity to, ha to have these chats. And um, so thank you for continuing to share um, a lot of our stories and things that are happening at the ATO. We appreciate it. My pleasure, Devon. It's been great to have you as our guest. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tax Yak. If you're enjoying our podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review the show wherever you are, because it will help to improve the profile of the show. If you'd like to connect with us on social media and let us know what you think or suggest future topics or speakers, you'll find us on LinkedIn and Twitter or you can email us at podcast at taxbanter.com.au. 
You can also find our regular blog articles at taxbanter.com.au forward slash banter hyphen blog. And I just remind all our listeners again that we're putting up another blog uh, sometime early next week, which will be looking at uh, STP myth busting, addressing some of those uh, misconceptions. We look forward to you joining us next time. Mm